This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. to take a curve, not a turn, but a curve because we're still dealing with different areas of our lives. But if you will, go and pre-mark your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 30. We're continuing the teaching that we have been teaching all of this year, preparing us for the next move of God. When we think of that, we need to think in our minds the fact that we are the church, we got to think that way. I'm the church. This year for us to prepare ourselves for the next move of God, we have to do some things. we got some requirements. That to, see, I'm going to continue on and talk about different things, and we're going to switch in. I remember I told you at the beginning, we're going to switch in and out. Now I'm making a curve. Again, I'm not turning. I'm just making a slight curve, but this is what is needed at this time. Amen. We learned in earlier teachings that being prepared means, in earlier teachings, that we have to be ready in advance. You all remember that in an earlier teaching. We are going to have to be ready through some advanced planning. We have to be ready to deal with some adversities. We have to deal. We had adversities the other week. You have to deal with adversities. We must be ready to establish the will of God. And this morning I want to ask the question, are you ready? I'm asking you the question, are you ready? Pay attention. Listen attentively. Notwithstanding, uh, you know, with all the teachings that have gone forth, we should be ready as a church to do the will of God. Did you hear me? We as a church, thinking on all of the messages that we have heard this year. Well, let's just say last year because we're in the new year. You know, I'm almost forgetting we're already in the new year. In 2020, in all the words, we should be ready. And I'm asking, are you ready? We should be ready to restore areas in our lives that need to be restored. We need to be ready to establish our lives, establish our homes, establish our families. That is our responsibility. Listen, we must understand that we are in a health crisis. We understand that. We're in the midst of social and economic chaos and crisis. We're in the midst of systemic racism. We're in the middle, in, in the middle of all kind of things that are going on in this country. And in the midst, we still must be ready to do what God has called us to do. We can't get our focus off of that because a lot of things are going on. Are you with me? We must stay focused. Amen? You know, and I, and I know sometimes it's hard to, but we must, we, you have to be ready. You have to be ready because if there's many distractions out there. And it wants to pull you away from what you need to be focusing on. I want you know, I want to know that you're ready to make the right 
decisions about many things, crucial decisions during these perilous times. And God is calling on us because he said, tell them that they're going to have to be able to make the right decision, some tough decisions that are coming their way, and they must be ready. Listen to me. Listen and listen attentively. I want to stop right now, and I want everybody to look up from your notes, and I want you to listen attentively. Church, you need to be prepared. You must be willing to make right decisions. We don't, we, God is saying enough of the hit and missed. I missed that. Oh, well, I, you know, I thought that was God. Enough of the hit and miss. Now it is crucial in the way the country is going and everything that we're in. It's crucial that you be prepared and willing to make right decisions. If we're not able to make the right decisions that leads to righteousness, we're going to be in trouble. If we're not able to make the hard decisions. See, some decisions are going to be hard decisions and and hard choices that you're going to have to make. That's going to lead you to a place. But please write this down. Write this down because so you'll already know. I'm all God is already telling us. I want you to write this down, what I'm about to say, so that when it happens, you can go back and say, well, God told me this was going to happen, and so now I can be confident in it. Write it down. Just because something is the right choice or the right decision does not mean that it's an easy choice or easy decision. Sometimes the decisions you're going to have to make is not going to be easy. I'll say it again. Just because something is the right decision does not mean that it is the easy decision or easy choice. See, we think if it's easy, then it's right. But no, sometimes a right decision is not that easy. It might come against your flesh. It might come against your finances. It might come against a lot of things. Let me say it this way. Just because something is right or a right decision or just because you you say, well, that's something I want to do anyway. I want to do it. It's something I'm supposed to do. Just because it's something that you found out or you have to make a decision, oh, well, I'm supposed to do that. Just because it's a decision that you make and you know that it is the will of God. To have you to do this. You know it. Just because we know that it is the will of God again. It does not mean that it's going to be easy. I want you to get that. Because see that's where we tend to miss it. When it becomes hard we said it's the enemy. Or we don't want to make that decision. Because no. this, And then we start making up our own rules. This can't be God. It's too hard. But sometimes right decisions are not easy. I'm telling you. So when it comes. You won't blame it on anything other than what it is. It's time to grow up. And make a decision. Because His next move is coming. The world has changed and is continuing to change. And we must learn how to live in it. 
So in all that we've been learning, you must learn to make right decisions about things that pertain to your life. And decisions that you will have to make undoubtedly, undoubtedly will be tough ones. They will be tough decisions. Are you in Deuteronomy chapter 30? Here we see God is preparing the children of Israel to make the right decisions as they move forward in His will. God always gives the preparation for you to make the right decision. You know, it's interesting when you look at the relationship between God and His people, especially in the Old Testament. If you go back and do study and look at the Old Testament and the, 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 the relationship that God and His people have, it, you will see it was always God admonishing them to make the right choice. He was always kept admonishing them. In everything He kept telling them, showing them, telling them what to choose. Not making them choose it, but He was always admonishing them to make the right choice. And that's what he's doing this morning. So here in Deuteronomy chapter 30, he sets out in verse 15. Deuteronomy 30 and 15. See, I have set before thee this day life and good and death and evil. In that I commanded thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whether, whether thou goest to possess it. But if thine heart turn away so that you will not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day, that you shall surely perish, and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land, whether thou go or passest over Jordan to go to possess it. Verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed May live. Verse 20. That thou mayest love, his, love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him, for he is thy life, and the length of thy days. That thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord sweareth unto the fathers, unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give to them. Look what God look what God said in verse 19. I call heaven and earth to record this day against thee that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Therefore choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. You see he tells them to choose life. You know, I was reading that and it seems like God wouldn't have to say that. He wouldn't have to tell them. It seemed like it would be obvious for the children of Israel that they would choose life and, and blessings. You know, like, okay, he said before you, you don't even have to tell me that. That's a, that, you know, that's a given. But why did he say, no, choose life? 
It seems like, why would he have to tell them that? Why would, wouldn't they just choose life and blessings over curse and uh, death? But God knew and God knows his people. Because in earlier times, what they had been, when they have been given a choice, the children of Israel, they always chose wrong. See, they always, uh, just like us. He, you know, and so God knew this. So God said, I'm going to throw that in. I'm going to tell you how to choose. Israel didn't always choose life and blessings, and neither do we. God realizes with us that even though the right decisions sometimes seems obvious, that we ought to just obey God, you know, this, I, I need to do this, and keep His commandments and keep His statutes, even though it seemed just obvious. From time to time, when given the choice, we don't make the correct decisions. And mostly because we're always thinking of ourselves, and God is trying to get us blessed, and we just, you know, we just bypass all of that. So it seems I don't want to, uh, you know, assume that we're always going to make the right decision. Don't, you, I, I know better. Okay, let me just speak for me. I know better. Sometimes I will make the wrong decision. But I want God to direct me so I can make the right decision. I don't want to drown His voice out and do my own thing. I don't want to weigh the decision I have to make on the world standard. Because I'm not on that standard. So those are the different things that I have to be aware of. I want to make sure that we are equipped in this particular teaching to always make, everybody say always. See, we, we, you know, we have, we have got this mentality and we hold on to it. Everybody's going to make mistakes. I said, I want us to always make the right decision that leads to life and godliness that leads to life and godliness so my intent of this short series is to test our resolve see before we go on and talking about how to live in this world and how to how to world live in this span of time and this dispensation i want to test your resolve I believe that many of us have come out of the last teaching with a strong resolve. I believe that. And a strong resolve to do the actual will of God. But I want to test your resolve to choose right and choose life every time. Everybody say every time. I want to test our resolve to make the type of decisions that will leave us ready to do the will of God. See, we have to be ready to do the will of God. I want to test our resolve to make the decisions that will cause us to be prepared to to do the will of God. Preparation is so very important. My whole purpose of this teaching, this particular teaching that's attached to the last, is for us to understand what is required of me to make the right decisions. There's things that are required of you. There are some things that will that will definitely be required of all of us, and if uh, and, and when we get that, we're going to make when we 
follow the requirements, we're going to make the right decision. We'll move ourselves, our families, and our church forward. See, it's, it's okay to talk about what you want to do, but you've got to make sure you make an application. God is God, Every time God teaches us, He lays out things that we are required to do. These are not suggestions. Things that we require. If you, I mean, those, uh, it's going to be tough, tough decisions pertaining to your life. I want to make sure that we know what is required. Listen, all of us, everybody say all of us. See, it's not just you. See, some people don't show what they have to make tough decisions or, or right decisions about. And so people look at them like, oh, it's easy for them. You don't ever, everybody has to make right, tough decisions. Are you following? Just because it, uh, some people don't show it and you do, don't mean that they have it easy. Are you with me? You're not going to get through. Listen, understand this. You're not going to get through life without making some tough, right decisions. You're not going to. Not that pertains to life. You're not going to, you're not going to be missed. You're never, you're not exempt. I don't care how much money you have. I don't care where you live. I don't care what kind of car you drive. I don't care what family you're in. I don't care about any of that. You're going to, it's coming a, a time where you have to make right decisions. Are you with me? We're going to have to make tough decisions. If you're going to be who God has called you to be and what he wants you to do and do the things that God will have for you to do, you, you know, oftentimes this is the problem. I see people, they like to commend people that make good choices or they make right decisions. I've even had people tell me, Pastor, I see that some of the decisions you have to make, and you know, and and you know, I, I just want you to know, you know, just just watching you make decisions, and everything, you know, I, I appreciate that. See, people like to commend people that have to make tough, right decisions. Listen, listen to me closely. And people and, and people have told me, and maybe. People have told you different things. They admire the fact, they appreciate the fact that, that you're willing to make the right decision. You're willing to step up. You're willing to do this. And you know what? This is what I want you to understand. That's fine and well, but I want this church, I want all of us as one to move, not with admiration of people, but we need to be the example. Everybody. Not one or two, not three or four. We need to move from admiration to being an example ourselves. I don't want us just to admire people. And I don't want to be admired. I want us all to be people that when we're oppressed, we can make right decisions. I've told you in time past, and I'll tell you again, that's when you find out who really people are, is doing pressure. Don't watch them when everything is going good. That's not the real them. Let pressure hit. Then you'll see the real, real them. I want us to be an example of a, of a people 
Church of the Living Water, I'm talking to you explicitly. I want us to be an example of a people that when we are pressed on every side, when we have been, been before life and death, blessings and curses, we can make the right choice. When we have before us the narrow way that leads to righteousness, we forego the broad way and take the narrow way that leads to righteousness. Because the broad way, the Bible tells us, leads to destruction. And many go therein. Because it looks good to the flesh and, 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 and if you just stop and pay attention and if you would just be on God's frequency, you will find out, mm, everything in the Broadway is on the world standard. And the church seems to want to go that way. But then there's a narrow road that all the church people and the believers want to avoid and that's the one God wants you to go in. We need to be an example. We can make the right decisions. Listen, we are not going to make it through life without knowing how to make the right decisions. You're going to be stagnant. My goal of this teaching is simply, I want to strengthen your resolve. I want to strengthen your resolve. I want to strengthen the resolve of every individual member of the church. But I also want to strengthen the resolve collectively. Listen, I want to make sure that we go through the next phase of this time with a strengthened resolve. With a strengthened resolve. It has to be strong. You know, we've been in for coming on a year this month, starting tomorrow. A year. We've been in an altered state for a while. Listen. We've been in an altered state for a while now. A year. We have been dealing with this pandemic, and we know that. The economic consequences that's just everywhere. Social injustices that are here that have risen. All of this is because of the pandemic as well. We've been dealing with political crap. That's all that is. Just chaos, foolishness, and uncertainty. We've been dealing with all of that this whole year long. We've been just dealing with and still dealing with it. And, 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 and the more that it comes, we want to make sure that we stay focused. All the things that have come along in this time, I just want to make sure that you are strengthening your resolve. Because many of you, I remember, I remember since our pastor transition, many of you started, uh, uh, you know, this time, and even last year in the teaching, you started with the resolve. Before the pandemic, that you were going to be who God has called you to be. You're going to do what God wants you to do. You were saying it to yourself, okay, now it's time. I need to do this. You will focus on what God would have for you to do and for us to be and do. And I want to make sure that we are strengthened in our resolve. Why? Because we're not on the other side yet. We're here. We're here. 
And we must be strengthened. We're not on the other side. So let's not act like it. We're here now. There are things that we're going to have to do through, you know, individually. And there are some things that we're going to have to go through as a church. See, we tend to forget about it because we're in this pandemic. But there's going to be another time. There's going to be a next move of God. There are things that's going to happen. Are you following me? There are things that are going to come up. And I want to make sure that we have our resolve is strong. Our resolve is strong. I want to strengthen our resolve so that we don't defile, listen, one decision with the next decision. It's easy to do. You defile one decision with the next decision. In other words, I do not want you to make a decision yesterday. But because you're not strengthened, something comes up. Because you're not strengthening your resolve, something comes up. And the next time you make a decision, and in that decision, you didn't choose life. You didn't choose blessings. And now you have defiled the first decision. See, maybe the first decision, you made a good decision that pertained to life and God in it. You made a great decision. But then that's not going to be the one and only decision. Another one comes up. And then you make a bad one. Now you've defiled the first one. That's how marriages are dissolved. The first you start, you're all happy about marriage. You want to get married and everything is good. But then when things come up and challenges come up and decisions you have to make come up. And then you make all the wrong decisions. Then it defiles that first decision that was you were so happy about getting married. Are you following me? I don't want the decisions you make today to be defiled by the decision you make tomorrow, the very next day. Are you with me? But there are other choices. That's choice, choices. Listen, those of you that just got married, those of you, listen, there's choices to be made after the altar. I guess you're learning that by now. But if not, you will. There are choices to be made after the altar. And if you don't strengthen your resolve with the latter, with another decision that you make, let me tell you, you're going to defile that earlier. Some of you may have already. But there's hope. See, because you have to see the picture. You've got to see what I'm talking about. So I, when I began to sit down and think about all these things, I came up with a whole group. But I said, well, it can't be this long, and I can't teach all that. So I picked a few out that I feel, felt like that God was telling me that this is what Church of the Living Water needs. But this is not the only. I have chosen four objectives. Now, listen, this is going to be a four-week teaching. Four objectives that will go through the next four uh, few weeks. And we're going to go through them one at a time. And I want to teach us the requirements of making the right decisions. 
We'll go through these again one week at a time. I want to teach us the requirements that, that, uh, that, that we need to have, and here they are. Number one, I want to teach us the, co- the, the commitment is required. The commitment that is required. Number two, the discipline that is required. Number three, the sacrifices that is required. Number four, the thinking that is required. I'll say them again. The commitment that is required, the discipline that is required, the sacrifices that is required, and the thinking that is required. Now, if you got all that, go with me to 1 John chapter 5. Run over to 1 John chapter 5. And subtitle this, if you will... The commitment required to make the right decisions. The commitment required to make the right decisions. Oftentimes we say that we are committed, and I hear people all the time, (laughs) I'm committed. I'm committed to church of living water. I'm committed to this. I'm committed to that. I'm committed to my marriage. We say that we are committed, but in reality, we don't really know who or what we are committed to. Oftentimes, we don't know who or what we are committed to. And if we're going to have the commitment necessary to make the correct decisions, then you have to know who you are committed to, and you have to know what you are committed to. You have to know that. Listen, we don't know... This is where everybody get away from commitment and don't want to make commitments. We don't know the conditions of a commitment until after we make the commitment. <laughs> we don't know <laughs> the conditions of a commitment until after we make the commitment. See, a lot of times you make a commitment ignorant of the conditions. In other words, when you make a a commitment, you don't know what to expect on the other side. And then as you try to carry out that commitment, that's when the problem comes in. So it's essential. When I say the word essential, it means that it has to be, this has to be a part of your commitment. Listen, it's essential that I know who I am committed to and know what. I am committed to. It's essential that you know that. Why? Because I don't know what I'm going to face once I make the commitment. So there are things, me personally, that I have had to face since I've made the commitment to serve God. Just to serve Him. Many years ago, or even up to now, many things just to serve him. And I didn't know what I was going to face. Listen, there were conditions that have had to, I have had to experience, and I didn't know that I was going to have to experience them when I committed to obey God. Many things over the years. When I committed to, 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 to serve God, many things that I did not know that came with the commitment. 
So I had to go back and reconcile for myself. Who did I make the commitment to? What did I make the commitment to? Because what happens is we have an expectation of what we think is going to happen when we make a commitment. See, that's our, we have an expectation. So this is going to happen when I commit. This you. See, you have an expectation of what you think is going to happen. But how many of you know that life doesn't go according to your expectations? That's for sure. And it shakes our commitment. And then we lose our resolve to continue to make the right decisions. We lose our resolve to stay committed. That's how many of you can't stay committed to tithes, to pastors' compensation. It's because you don't understand who you've made the commitment to. Most of you think, most of you think that you're committing to me on the pastors' compensation. But you, if you are, you're in trouble. A lot of times you think I'm tithing because I'm committed to the church. See, you don't know what and who you're committed to. And as long as it's that way, that's when you're going to hit and miss and you're not going to do and you're going to have do because you have no knowledge of who you're really committed to and what you're committed to. And it's essential pertaining to life and godliness. It's essential that you know those things or your life is going to continually decline as a believer. It's essential that we know who we are committed to. We have to understand that if you're going to make the right decision. So write write this one so you don't have to write it again because you're going to have no. I make the right decision requires and then we're going to go from there. We're going to drop them up under there. I you, write it down this way. To make the right decision requires to make the right decision requires, point number one, commitment to God. To make the right decisions requires commitment to God. Ooh, please, please get that down. Please get that down. Commitment to God. You have to have commitment to God. Not to a person. <laughs> Not to a church. Not to an individual. As long as you have that. Let me tell you. If you. That's probably why some of you can't do pastor's compensation. Because if you think you're committed to a person. If that person disappoints you. Or not doing what you're supposed to. you got to stop. Because well, I don't have to do that. I was doing this for them. You got the wrong commitment. You got the wrong commitment. <coughs> so. <coughs> But then life does, we, we know that life does, no, no, let me go down where I am. We gotta have number one, commitment to God to make the right decisions. Make a note of all this. All, everybody say all. Every one of your commitments must be to God. You're a believer. You're not committed to a person. All of your commitments must be to God. And oftentimes what causes us not to be able to make the right decision is that we don't realize 
who we made the commitment to. All commitments are to God. Every commitment that you make must be to God. Are you with me? And if you don't get that, you're going to miss it every time. See, if you... Listen, this is interesting. Actually, everybody kind of know, they kind of know that their commitment is really to God. They kind of know that, you know, mm, I have a commitment in the, oh, the commitment is really to God. <laughs> because, see, me telling you this about God being committed to God, isn't, shouldn't be really a revelation. And for a lot of you, it's not a revelation. It's not an illumination. Not, it shouldn't be for believers. But for the most part, most people kind of know that it's a commitment to God. Example, when you go to a court and you're going to do some testifying or whatever, they lay out a Bible before you to put your hand on. And what you're saying is, I, I swear to tell the truth, so help me God. They even put it in our Constitution. Now, whether they do right about it, doesn't, we, that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about they put it there because they're saying, you are giving a commitment to someone higher when they put it in our Constitution. Put it in our pledges. Again, understanding that you're supposed to be making a commitment to someone higher. So, so inevitably, we kind of know that our commitment ought to be to God. But even if you go through the Bible, and I have, Abraham was committed to God. David was committed to God. Elijah was committed to God. Moses was committed to God. Paul was committed to to God. Joshua was committed to God. Let's go a little further. Even Jesus was committed to die on the cross for our sin. He was committed that he, that was a commitment that he made to the Almighty God. Sometimes we struggle. To make right decisions because we think that we are committing to something or someone other than God. That's how you miss it. Maybe you think you're committed to yourself. Or committed to a person. Or even committed to a situation. (laughs) But your commitment has to be to God. Now here's the challenge. Here's the challenge. When you commit to God, here is the problem about committing to God for God's people. And this is why it's not easy to commit to God for God's people. Write it down. Because you are committing to a God that you cannot see. So that that right that alone got me gets me to staggering. 
You are committing to a God you cannot see. Wait, and you are making that commitment hoping you're going to receive some benefits that you have not seen. So now there's an issue. Listen, and you make the commitment to him, and you don't know what the consequences are. You don't know what the consequences that you can expect. Even if God tells you what to expect, you still don't get it because it's not tangible for you to see. So you have a reluctancy about committing to the invisible God. Are you with me? So it's hard to make a commitment to God. But in spite of it all, and in spite of your struggle with that, you still must submit and commit to the Almighty God. Are you in 1 John chapter 5? Beginning at verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him and begat loveth him and begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not Grievous. Note this as your letter A. Making the right decision requires a commitment to love God. You're falling in love with Jesus. It's a commitment to love God. Our love for God has to be our motivator. Our love for God has to be our motivator. It motivates us to make the right choice. Our love for God has to be a motivator to help us keep our commitments. See, every time you want to come out of your commitment, check your love walk with Him. My commitment is I love the Almighty God. Our love for God has to be the thing that causes us to get up every day and not defile the last decision with the next. Every day I get up and say, wait a minute, let me think about the decision that I made and the one I have to make today, tomorrow, next week, next one. And I want to make sure it doesn't defile this one by making a wrong choice. Here's the strength. here's, Here's the thing. And this is the kicker for you. The stronger our relationship is with God, the stronger the commitment. The stronger our relationship is with God, the stronger our commitment can be. Church, our relationship to God is essential. And all of us, we have to work on it daily, developing our loving relationship with the Almighty God. We must love Him according to the Scriptures. Not your way. We have to love Him according to the Scriptures. And Jesus says we have to love Him with our hearts, with all of our heart, with all of our souls, and with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. That's loving God. We have to have a true living relationship with Him on the inside. 
And part of loving God is loving Him for who He is and not for what you anticipate Him doing for you. You just need to love Him because He's your Father. See, most people, most Christians, and I see them get all emotional and they're all in there, but most of them love Him because of what they do. Oh, save my children. Oh, do this. And God, you know, busy bossing Him around. But can you just love Him for just simply being your Father? We have to love Him because why? He first loved us. We have to love Him because He sent His Son to die on the cross for us. For our sins. We have to love Him because He has provided a place for us. We also have to love Him because He is faithful. And He's given us His word. That's enough to love God to the end of time. He set us right there. We're set. So we have to develop a true and abiding love for God. And hopefully during this time of pandemic, listen to me, during this time of self-quarantine, during this time that we're not able to assemble as a church like we used to, we, the way we, you know, hopefully, just hopefully, you are working uh, during this time to develop a deep and abiding love for God. See, a lot of times because you're thinking about this church building, but let me tell you, you've got enough time now to be developing a deep and meaningful, caring, loving relationship with an almighty God. You've got plenty of time on your hands. Now before, you couldn't do nothing because I'm always at the church. God took that excuse away from you. Now what? Oh, I'm up to church Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Boy. Okay, now you're not. Have your love increased. Have you spent all that time that you don't come up here now and just fall in love with Him? If I can count on my fingers how many times people will say how much time they've been at church. And you put that together with a week and you ain't done nothing. Oh, you up there, you was up there Wednesday, you was up there Friday, you was up for an hour or two. Even if it was four, if it was eight. Oh, we have, we, um, let me tell you, we've used that, now we don't even have that excuse. Oh, man, what can I say? Because that was, that was the number one excuse. We have to get a true abiding love for God. And I hope that we are developing that. You know that, listen, there's a difference between loving God and loving the things of God. See? There's a difference. And most people don't know it. There's a difference between loving God and loving the things of God. You know, a lot of people love church. They love the music. They love the fellowship. They love the environment. They love the atmosphere. They love working in ministry. Makes them feel good to do something for somebody else. But listen, listen, during this time... When you have been stripped away from all of that. <laughs> this is a good opportunity to make sure that your commitment is not in any of those things. But that your commitment is to God. And having a loving relationship with Him. 
That's why people is all crazy now and doing, saying all kind of foolish things and, and, and in the church and heads all over the place. Your loving relationship with God is broken and you don't even know it. If I'm going to make the right decision, I have to make sure that I am committed to loving God. Making the right decision requires a letter B. A commitment to keep His commandments. And I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments. Listen out there. The Ten Commandments was never meant for you to try to obey. The, commit, the Ten Commandments was to show you you already sinned. Have you noticed when you read them, you had already done some of those things? It wasn't for you to obey because if that was the case, you'd already be, you would have been done for. It was to show you you was already a sinner. But He has commandments. Other than the Ten that showed you you were a sinner. I love what John said. He said his commandments. I, I love this. I, I, no, let me go back up. If I'm going to make the right decisions, I have to commit to a loving God. I have to commit to keeping his commandments. Listen, and I love this what John says. He said his commandments are not grievous. They're not grievous unto us. Listen. If you love God, you're going to have to keep His commandments. You know, you have to make the right decisions. You have to make tough decisions by committing to the commandments of God. you got to commit to those. And I'm going I'm to let you know there's plenty of commandments God has given. Actually, it's one that He's given us in the, whole t- in the, in the New Testament that covers everything. The right decisions are always in line with God's commandment. So if you make a commitment to keep His commandment, then I'm gonna let, uh, uh, then you're gonna be committed to make sure that you're going to make the right decisions. I'm telling you, when you commit to, just do that. That Father, I commit to, to keep your commandment. You're gonna make the right decisions. The necessary decisions. Not one that appeases your flesh, or the one that satisfies you temporary, you, you know, that temporary desire that you are. No, God is going to make sure that you make the right ones, because why? I'm committed to your commandment, Lord. Why? Because my commitment is to love God, and my commitment is to keep His commandments. Now, once I really make that commitment to keep His commandments, His commandments are no longer grievous. That's how, that's how John can say that. They're no longer grievous. You know, when I was a young woman, I could remember, and studying this out, I could remember, and I had, and, you know, I had not yet really committed to loving God. I got born again, but I wasn't committed to loving God. And I'm not really committed to keeping His commandments. And to me, it seems like Everything that God said was grievous to me. But see, I wasn't committed to loving Him. Seemed like everything He said, all the can't do's, everything to me looked like I couldn't do, I would, you can't do, and this and that. And I was like, oh, it just seemed like to me, you know, God is taking all of the joy out of my life. Seemed like He's heaping a bunch of stuff on me. But then I realized what the problem was. It wasn't his commandments, it was my heart. 
It was never the commandment. See, as long as you think that is him, you're going to be like, everything he says is grievous. But then when I begin to grow and start falling in love with him, I've realized it wasn't God's commandment was the problem. It was my heart condition. And then I learned how to develop a love for God and committed it in my heart. Not just a verbal. And I said myself and I told myself and I meant it that God, I'm going to serve you all the days of my life. I'm going to serve you with my whole soul, my mind, my strength. And all of a sudden, things that I once thought was grievous no longer grieved me. But see, you have to fall in love with him. See, every time you be like, oh, man, yeah, I got born again, and yeah, I love God, but he's asking too much. No, you need to fall in love with him. You'll find out they won't be grievous. And then all of a sudden, the right decisions didn't seem like the impossible decisions. I mean, decisions that may go against your flesh and your feelings but glorifies your father and helps you prepare for his next move. So he might not agree with your flesh. If I'm going to make the right decision, it requires, let us see, to love others. To love others. If I love God and keep his commandments, then I'm I'm committing. I am committing to loving others. Listen, our love for others have to flow out of a loving relationship with the Almighty God. That's how you can love those even that irritate you. It has to be out of your love for God. You know, the more conditions, there's always a lot of conditions with commitment. The harder it is for us to love, church, we have to get this thing down. The harder it is for us to love, we have to get this thing down. I cannot be hard-hearted toward loving the people. See, let me tell you something. If you try to love somebody and have not yet uh, made a commitment to loving God, you're going to struggle loving them. Just, just give it time. You're going to struggle loving them. You're going to struggle loving them when things get difficult, and they will. I'm going to struggle loving them, listen, when things don't go your way. Because, see, first you're struggling because you haven't committed to loving God. You're going to struggle loving them when God asks you to do something on their behalf that goes against your flesh and your feelings, and He will. Be like, oh, no, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh You're going to struggle. So my love for others have to flow out of my love for God. In other words, I love God so much because he wants me to love you, I have to love you. Out of my love for God. I have to love you. Why? Because I love God that much. And I cannot violate His commandments. And one of His commandments is love one another. He didn't say love those who only love you. 
He said, love one another. And because I can't violate his commandments, I have to have the correct actions and the correct motivation towards you. And I do. Why? Because I love God. I love God just that much. And I have committed to keeping his commandments to love you. I can't get out of position in my relationship with you. I can't. No matter what you've done, what you do, what, what, whatever's between, well, that's a little, you know, it's kind of rocky between. It doesn't matter. I still have to love you. I stay there. Church starts with our relationship with God. Listen, if you're struggling to love somebody, listen, I'm going to give it to you. If right now, in your head, you know the person, if you're struggling to love them, stop right now. Just stop. Stop where you are and listen good. If you're struggling to love anyone, I don't care what they've done, stop and go back and work on your relationship with God. See, just go there. Don't try to force yourself to try to love them. No, no. Your struggle begins is because you're struggling with your love for God. So you need to stop trying to make yourself love them and go back to your relationship with God and work on loving Him. When I talk about loving others, I'm just talking about the biblical treatment of another person. Remember, we talked about that in earlier teachings. The biblical treatment of another person. Treating them based on what the Word of God says, not on your feelings. Not out of your emotions. Because feelings and emotions change. You don't want to go out of those. But uh, you want to go out of an understanding that God loves me. He sent His Son to die for me. I've committed to love Him. And He said, if I love Him... I will keep his commandments. And so I have to keep the commandment and his first commandment. After loving him was to love you. So it goes just like that. You can't get around it, under it. You can't do any of that. It has to go like that. So therefore I have to love you. Because of the love I have for God. It compels me to love you. It compels me to see the best in you. Now, if you will, go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Note this as your second point. So I have to have a commitment to God, but making the right decision secondly requires a commitment to the standard. I have to have a commitment to the standard. We have learned in this church... That Jesus is our standard. We have seen, we have learned in our church that the Word of God is our standard. So I'm going to have to make a commitment. If I'm going to make the right decisions, I have to make a commitment to live my life like Jesus. Just like Jesus would. To live my life after the example and the similitude of Jesus Christ. That's what we have to do. 
I'm going to have to live my life based out of the teachings of Jesus Christ. That is the standard of my life. I'm going to have to live my life according to the Word of God. According to the Word of God. Church, we have to learn. You don't... Please learn this. You never lower your standards. Don't lower your standards. We can't lower standards. Listen, you can't lower Jesus. And we don't lower the Bible. So therefore, we can't lower our standard. We have to do and say what Paul said. He said, I press toward the mark for the prize of the Holocaust. I'm not going to lay, let lower my standard. That's simple. I'm not going to lower my standard. And you know what? And I like what Paul said. Paul said, and not as though I have obtained, even though just because I have not arrived in some areas, and all of us have areas, everyone in here and under the sound of my voice and those who are streaming, all of us have areas in our lives, including me, Every one of us, before Jesus and after Jesus, have areas that we are short of the standard. So it can't be like, yeah, but see, this standard is, uh, you know, everybody has fallen short of the standard. But we have a standard. I love when Paul says, it's not as though I've obtained. He said, I'm not there. But I'm a press. I'm pressing toward the mark of the prize of the high calling in God, which is in Christ Jesus. Listen, the believer's life is not about lowering the standard. Don't lower the standard of the gospel. It's about elevating your life to the standard of the gospel. Lift it up to the standard of the gospel. You should always be elevating your standard. We should be committed to live the standard that we see in God's word. The standard is set. We can't make the right decisions if we don't have a standard. And that standard has to be Jesus. You'll never make the right decision when you don't have a standard. You can't make a commitment to people or situations. Your commandment has to be into the standard. Your commitment, I'm sorry, has to be to the standard. In other words, this is my standard. And regardless of what the situation is, and regardless of who, what, who the person is, this is my standard. And I'm going to make my choices based on my standard. I don't make choices or make decisions outside of the standard. Because the world has a standard too. What happens oftentimes, we try to make a commitment to a person. Or in light of a situation. And here's the problem. People and situations change. And if I made a commitment to a person or a situation, when a person change, and they do, or a situation change, and it does, then I don't know how to make the right decision. Because I put my commitment on the wrong thing.
So now I don't know. Mm, I don't know. So you want to go get advice from everybody else. But you've lowered your standard. Listen to my commitment. Listen listen to my commitment. As pastor of this church, my commitment I made was to God. I, I, when, when, because I came in saying, I know I'm not the pastor, I can't, until I got on my knees. And my commitment was to God. I mean, to God. And I said, God, I'll pastor this church based on the word of God. Based on your word. Now look at what has changed since that time. A lot has changed since that time that I made the commitment. Those of you that are streaming, you're not in this room. Things have changed. Just a few people in here. You're not here. Not only how how our pastor has completely changed because we don't assemble, but listen to me. The situation is nothing like the situation when it first began. It's nothing like when I first got on my knees and accepted this calling on my life and this assignment that he's given me. It's nothing like it. But watch this. People, you being here or not here, the situation is not like it is, not like it once was. I still made a commitment. But guess what? I never made the commitment to you. I made the commitment to God. My commitment to a standard of pastoring has nothing to do with the method, how I deliver a message, with you being here, the number of people, who's here, who's not here, who comes, who goes, who's in attendance, who's not in attendance. Listen, none of that. My commitment is to God. My commitment is not how you do or don't receive the message. <laughs> now, in this pandemic, it, my pastoring has been modified because of us not being able to resume my care for you because it's from a distance. But if I, if, if have, if I have to do any of those things, it still has to do with my standard. To treat you as your pastor according to the Word of God. That's my standard, no matter what. That's my standard. Everything I have to do according to His Word. And listen, it takes strength to live by a standard and make the right decisions but I know those of you that belong to this ministry I know that you're ready to be strong 2nd Timothy 2 beginning at verse 1 it says thou therefore my son be strong in the grace Uh, did I say 2nd Timothy 2 
verse, okay. There, thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. What was Paul telling Timothy here? He was telling him, if you're going to make the right decisions that I need you to make as a bishop in the church, it's going to require letter A, write it down, commitment to be who you are. You have to have a commitment to be who you are. That is what Paul was doing with Timothy. Throughout both epistles of Timothy, he told him, then, he told him, you're like your mother. You're like your grandmother. God didn't give you the spirit of fear, but of love and of power and a sound mind. He began to minister to him. He told him, let no man despise your youth. He was telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of who God has called you to be. If you're going to make the right decision, you're going to have to make a commitment to be who you are. That's why it doesn't matter to me, it doesn't faze to me whether somebody think I'm a pastor or not. God doesn't make women pastors. It doesn't matter to me what you think I'm going to be who I am. My husband was the founder of this church and now I'm here. And I don't care what you think. And I've told someone, and I'll tell them again. If you don't believe that I'm a woman pastor, you don't even need to come visit. Because you're going to have a problem. And the only problem you have is that I have a womb. Because that's the only difference. And you can say, well, I don't know. I know I talked to Pastor Taylor. He didn't believe in women. You don't know what he believed in. You don't know what he believed in. I'm his wife. You don't know what he believed in. Now, I know that he didn't believe that a woman should start a church, and I didn't. But I think he knows a lot better now. On a lot of things that we don't know. And I thank God for the message this morning because everything's intact. And he remembers it all. And he's standing with the cloud of witnesses rooting me on. Amen. And you don't know what I've talked about. It doesn't matter. I'm going to be who I am. That is what Paul was doing with Timothy throughout both epistles. He, he was strengthening him with that. He told him, let no man despise your youth. He's telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of what God has called you to be. If you're going to make the right decisions, you're going to have to make a commitment to be who you are. In other words, you are a child of the Most High God. That's what he was telling him. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You have, you, are, you have to make a commitment just to be who you are. Listen, many of you young adults, 
one of the reasons, li- listen, one of the reasons you're struggling, you're struggling on campus, you're struggling in your environment, you're struggling to live a righteous life, is because you not yet made a commitment to a standard. That's what it is. You have not made a commitment to a standard. See, you're in a standard that's, that's, when you're in a standard, that's making a commitment to be who you are. But you have to be in a standard. Listen, to say to somebody, I'm a believer, this is who I am, this is what I believe, this is how I live. See, to be bold enough to say that, you know, I don't have to have a parent-pleasing relationship. Many young people had that, and that's why they struggle today. But you have to have a standard where you don't have a parent-pleasing relationship. I don't, you know, I don't want to live this because mama's watching or mama said it or daddy sees me. And I, so I got to act this way in front of them. Those are parent-pleasing relationships. And they will yield nothing. They will yield failure and wrong choices. So many of you, when you were younger, instead of making a commitment to the standard, you, and and when I say blame, I'm not talking about blame because you didn't want to do it, because you enjoyed church. You enjoyed being around in church. But you would always, your Christianity was of your parents. Come in, can y'all, you want to go to this part with me? No, I can't. My parents don't let me go there. They, my parents won't allow that because my, my, my well, can't you want to go here? No, my parents won't let me go. I can't do this because my parents don't. My parents don't want me to do that. But all the while, you enjoyed going to church because you loved the youth group and you loved the young adults. You see, you loved all of that, but you, you was yielding in a parent-pleasing relationship. Things that you really wanted to do, I can't do because my parents won't let me do. And and when I say you like church, you had a fondness for the things of God. There's a difference. But now that you're grown, you don't have anyone that you can place this thing on now. My mama told me, my they said I can't do it. You don't have any of that. Now this is where commitment is required. Now commitment is required. And that first aspect of that commitment for you is to, as it relates to the standard, is committing to be who you are. See, now it ain't, it ain't no you can do it because your mama told you or your daddy told you or they look at See, now you got to make a commitment to be who you are. Mm. Trying to help some of you. See, it's at a point that, or it's going to get to a point that that it's not about what mama wants you to do. Uh, It's not about daddy's watching. It's not about what pastor taught. Pastor taught this, so this is who I am. Now, to my not-so-young, mature members, you can't live out your life or walk based on 
what I said. You're going to have to live out your Christian walk because you have made a commitment to be who you are. See, because it doesn't matter. I don't care if I hit everything on point. I don't care if I say everything that the Scripture says. That's fine. But you can't just bank on what I said. you got to be who you are. That has to be in you. You can't say, well, I can't do this and I can't do that because this is what's taught in my church. But who are you? It ain't because of what's taught in my church. It's because of who I am. See, that takes it beyond just saying what church you belong to. And then you ask the question, well, what is the standard of your life? Who you are? By now you should have enough Holy Spirit on the inside of you that you know what the standard of your life is. And you have a commitment and a standard in your life. Jesus is the standard of my life. That's the standard. His word is the standard for my life. And I'm committing to press See, I commit myself to press to live according to the standard. I'm making these choices. Not because anyone is making me. Nobody's making me make the choices. I make the choice. The, I made a commitment to just be who I am. Listen, making the right requirement. Letter B. You have to commit to endure hardness. You know why the decisions are tough. The decisions are tough because even though it is right decision, it, it might be the right decision, it brings, know this, even though it's the right decision, it will bring about hard times sometimes. Even though it's the right decision, it will oftentimes bring hard times. I want you to get that. But I have to commit down on the inside. That I'm already, I'm ready to go through hard times. I'm ready to be persecuted. I'm ready to lose some friends along the way. I'm ready to be talked about. I'm okay with that. I'm ready to give up some, ooh, ooh, this will help you. I'm ready to give up some opportunities. That I may just have to give up. You can't look on money for everything. It's a trap. Now I may drop a few tears because somebody, I, you know, don't want a fellowship with me anymore. But guess what? I wipe those tears and I keep it moving. In the direction that God has called me to go. I'm ready to endure some hardness. In the financial arena. To get my finances where they need to be. Now, most of everybody God had told us months ago, what? Save. Get out of debt. You, let me tell you. That's a financial arena that he's trying to get you to. 
See, you have to be ready to endure some hardness in my social life. I'm ready to endure some hardness in hard times in some natural things. I'm ready to endure family members not embracing every aspect of me. I'm okay with that. Ah, she believes differently. Okay. I, I have to endure that. I still love you, but I have a standard. And I'm staying with it. I'm bent on pleasing God. And I have a commitment to Him. So with that commitment, I'm committed to the hard times that goes along with it. Listen, but I will not, listen, I will not, just just think of it this way and this will help you. You will never go through what Jesus went through. So that, that, that ought to just give you some hope. You will not go through what Jesus went through. Take that encouragement. My standard of commitment to endure hardness that's higher than, that, it's, it's high. And it's the way I want to go. I have to go that way. But just know, I'm not going to endure nothing that Jesus endured. And he endured. But I have to look to the author and finisher of my faith. Let us see. Make the right decisions requires a commitment to renounce the world's standard. Because the world's standard is not my standard. I must renounce the world's standard. Because the world's standard is not my standard. I have to make a commitment. In my heart to renounce the world standard. Because why? The world standard is ever getting lower and lower and lower. And I cannot make my commitment based on a sinking standard. I have to make a commitment in the never changing standard of God and His Word. That's where my commitment is. Thirdly, and final one, I make right decisions requires a commitment to purpose. A commitment to purpose. Now note, this is our third point. Because oftentimes, Christians, what we do because we are, on, uh, we are in this time where there's a lot of teachings and talking about living out our purpose. So this is what I want. That's why I wanted to get to this. See, we're in this time and we see it. And, 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 and I'm quite sure you all listen to other ministries or whatever. That's why. And a lot of them are talking about living in purpose and living out your purpose. Your divine purpose and seeking out your destiny. And all of those sorts of things. And let me tell you something. You have to be very careful with that. So oftentimes what happens, we commit to what we think our purpose is. First. I said oftentimes we commit to what we think our purpose is first. But that's wrong. The commitment has always and always have to be God first. Your commitment has to be to God first. Then it has, I'm setting the precedence right here. My commitment must be to God first. It has to be to the standard And that standard is Jesus, then purpose, not the other way. God first, my standard which is Jesus, and then purpose. 
Because if I commit to purpose with no standard and no commitment to God, my purpose is going to fail. I've seen it time and time again. It's going to fail. I don't care how good it looks. But if I learn to be committed to God and to love Him, essential, and commit myself to the standard which is Jesus and His Word, then when I commit to purpose, the purpose of my life, I can keep the commitment. Because I did it the right way. Because there is a purpose for your life. Because why? Now I'm not going to violate my command, the commandments of God. I'm not going to violate them because I'm going down the, the, the line. I'm going to live according to His standard. So I'm safe. Let me give you a end with these A, B, and C. Make the right decision, letter A, requires a commitment to my stage in life. Write it down. I must be committed to my stage in life. You know, all of us are in different stages of life. And you have to make a commitment to the stage of life that you're in. See, we have to stop looking for the next stage and make a commitment to the stage of life that you're in. You know why? Because there's val- there's something valuable that you need in that stage, and there's something valuable that you need to come out of that stage. And I was studying this week, and if you look at the Bible, and I begin to look at it, do you know there's three basically, well, it's basically three stages of life for all of us. Just three. Just three stages of life. When you go through the scriptures, you'll be like, oh, you know what, really? Three stages in life, one way or the other. And you know, and you can break it down, if you will, by age or, or those sorts of things. But if you really, really look at it, we are all in one of three basic stages. You're in one of them. Everybody in this room, it's not a lot in here, but those that are in this room, those that are streaming, you're in one of these stages. I'm going to give them to you. These are the three stages of life, and you're in one of them. Here they are. You're either in the stage of learning and developing, or learning and development, or you're in the stage of teaching and being an example, or you're in the stage of leaving a deposit. That's it. Everybody is in one of those. There's no extra one. I'll say them again. Three stages. Everybody is in one of these. You're either learning and development, teaching and being an example, or leaving a deposit. All of us are in one of these three stages. Now, if I'm in the stage of life of learning and development, this is your time that God wants you to learn and grow and develop. Then you have to learn to be committed to that stage. Don't try to get into somebody else's stage. That's not where you are. That's when you start getting up stuttering and trying to... See, you're trying to to teach when that's not your stage. Your stage is learning and stay there. 
Because you get it, you, 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 you're only in one. You, get, you try to dip in and out. And you need to stay in yours, guess why? Because you don't have forever. Where you can be just designated your life as a time. See, if your life right now is designated for learning, for growth and development, listen. Commit to that stage. Just stay right there. Say it out loud. This is the time that God wants me to grow. He wants to grow me. And a lot of you, many of you, are in that stage of life. Where, now, some, a lot of you are in the, in the stage of life where you're teaching and being an example. If you're in that stage, listen, you cannot let an opportunity of teaching get by. If you're in that stage, if you're in that stage, every opportunity to teach, you can't let it get by. You have to make sure that you are committing your life for an example that others can follow. Listen, stop being afraid of being an example. It will improve your life and the life of others. You cannot be afraid to be an example. And then some of you are in the place of leaving a deposit. Meaning we are in that time frame now where the emphasis of our lives are on leaving something behind for future generations. And if I'm in that stage, I have to embrace that stage. Embrace it. And when you get to the stage where you're leaving a deposit, then you should have realized... See... Think of it just like your bank account. This is the way I think of it. When you when I say leaving a deposit, when you think of that, the stage I'm leaving a deposit, then you should realize that deposits do not yield returns the day they deposited. The deposit when you put money, it doesn't yield a return that day. So you have to you have to commit. To stop looking for the return, but just keep depositing. Keep depositing. I I, I, I bless my my pastor and so thankful for my founding pastor, but I know why he loved the scripture, I've never seen the righteous forsaken in the seed begging bread. Because it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter. That's why he kept pouring into all of the ministers. That's why he spent special time with them. That's why he kept pouring into the church. He kept pouring in to those that wanted it. Some of it, some of people regurgitated back. Some people spit it out. Some people, some people pissed on it. Didn't want it. But he, but never, guess what? Nevertheless, it never discouraged him. He kept going. He kept trying to give as much as he can. All the way to the end. Even things he talked to me about or things he wanted and things he, he, he kept because, guess what? He understood this, that it doesn't matter whether I see it or not. I got to leave a deposit. If, I, if I'm not on the earth to see it, I left a deposit. And right now he's rejoicing because, let me tell you, his deposit is paying great dividends. Have you heard the ministers here? 
great dividends. Yielding is yielding. And that's all he wanted, and he got it. Everybody's life that he's touched. Now, some he put the deposit in, didn't yield anything. Why? They withdrew themselves. Keep it with them. How the banking goes. See, they withdrew. You can only get dividends of what you got there. What you're depositing right there. He understood that. He was a man before his time. Because he thought about things. And he did things. That was gaining treasure in heaven. So we need to understand that. I think the previous generation is clearly understood. I, I believe that my pastor clearly understood that it wasn't just about making deposits, but the deposits were important. And he understood that he may not even, I know he understood from things we talk about, I may not be allowed to see the return. But wherever, whenever there's a deposit made, there's a return on the investment. Remember he kept saying, don't worry about what's going on with my sons. Just wait and see. I know what I'm depositing in them. Don't worry about my spiritual sons. They'll be there for you. If I'm gone, they'll be there for you. I've deposited it in them. Yielding returns. Making the right decision not only requires a commitment to the stage of life that I'm in, but it also requires a commitment to the state of life that I'm in. Not just the stage, but the state of life. That's why Paul said that he learned in whatsoever state that he was in to be content. When I talk about the state of your life that you're in, I'm talking about learning how to make a commitment to get the maximum out of the state of life that you find yourself in. You know, you have to make a commitment to get the maximum out of the state that you find you in. You have to make a commitment to that. Now, listen, all of us, every one of us are in pandemic time. All of us now are in a similar state. And all of us need to make a commitment to get the maximum out of the state that we're in. We're all in a similar state because we're in the pandemic. The whole world is. But we have to, we as believers have to get the maximum out of it. You know, there's going to be people who come out of this time no different than when they went in. I purpose not to. I've made a determination for myself, for my house, for my life, and for this church that I want to come out of this time different than when we came in. I want to come out better. I want to come out having learned something. Not just something to do, but have learned something. I want to come out having grown. I want to come out stronger. 
I want to be stronger each year. Listen, write this down. Some of your best growth happens in your worst state. Some of your best growth happens in your worst state. And I've learned to be committed in whatever state that I'm in. And I've been in a state. Write this down. Uncomfortable states are not unproductive states. See, just because you're uncomfortable, oh, it's really bad. It, let me tell you, they're not unproductive. Difficult states are not unproductive states. Tough times are not times where no good is going to happen. See, we've been programmed to think if it's bad, everything's bad. No, it's some good is going to happen in it. It's often in the times that we enjoy being in is the least that God can do the most in our hearts and in our lives. But I've got to make a commitment to whatever state that I'm in. I have to learn to do what God says Right in that seat where I am. Then let her see. Make the right decision requires a commitment to my place in the body. You got to be. See, you, you can't be those foolish, unlearned people jumping all over the place, going from church to church, don't know where they're going. No, you have to be committed to your place in the body. I am an important. You have to say, I am an important part of the body of Christ. I am committed to my part in the body of Christ. Now, listen to this. Being committed to the body of Christ has nothing to do with ushering, parking cars, physical stewardship, children's ministry, going to the nursing home. It has to do with edifying your brothers and sisters. Edifying. Listen. Nobody, listen, listen, listen to me closely. Nobody right now in Church of the Living Water Ministry should be on hiatus. Nobody should be. Why? Because each one of us should be a joint that supplies. You don't have to be in a physical building for that. You do not have to be in a physical building or physically working a ministry to minister to your brothers and sisters. You should be calling people. Listen. You should be calling people. You should be texting people. You should be chatting with people. You should be praying with people in this ministry. You know, I don't get it. I'm like, all the young adults should be calling each other back and forth. All of the, everybody should, nobody should be on hiatus. Oh, well, it doesn't matter. We all do. No. No. We got to keep, we have to stay connected. And you don't have to be here physically for that. God, how you doing? I was just calling to check on you. Oh, well, you know what? Maybe we can just do something. It's just us two. And maybe we can, you got to stay. Uh, let me just, just send a text and just say I love you. Just, just continually instead of just sitting at home doing nothing. You ought to be encouraging people in their Christian wall. We can do this. I know I miss you too and I miss our church building, but I'm still going to connect with you and I want to see what's going on with you and that I, I, I want to know where have you been around? What are you, and we understand about social distancing. 
You understand, you tell people, well, no, I can't be around you. I've been around too many other people or whatever. But I'm safe. And this is what me and my, I tell people all the time, barely anybody goes out of my house but me. My grandchildren, the furthest they go is to the Martins and back home. They don't even, even when I go out and make runs, they don't even go with me. They want to, but they don't. They don't even, and if I have to go, I go to certain places and I come back home. My sons, they rarely go anywhere because we keep that where we're safe. And when I'm going, I'm covered up. Because some things you have to get out for and you have to do. And I do just that. I've seen the birds, it's like if I go in H-E-B and we speak to each other and we keep it going. I don't sit around and having conversation and we talking and I don't do do that because I don't know where they've been, but I'm telling you where I've been. But I need anybody I'm around, I need to know where if you've been around people. But we don't do that. We don't have fellowships where a group come over to our house and no no. I don't even I had a family member come here from California. Him and his girlfriend came here to Texas, and they drove all the way, and they went to Dallas to meet her parents, or not meet her parents, to visit her parents. They came down here, and they were going to see my mother, and they and I and my nephew. I talked to him on the phone, and I said, "I cannot see you because I don't know where him and his girlfriend been." They went to visit her people, who all was at their house. I don't know, and let me. He said, "Oh, I understand, Alva. I understand. Oh, completely. They were going all over." But we talked on the phone, we fellowshiped on the phone, and now I have grandchildren. I'm not putting them or myself or any I'm elderly. I'm not putting myself in that. But he understood, I understood we had good fellowship on the phone, and they went on back to California. That's fine. That I said there'll come a time when we'll be able to fellowship. Again, but not you know, I you don't say, Well, we family members and you know, that's okay. As if, as if COVID said, well, y'all family, I don't do family. It, no. I have to know where. But see, I don't fellowship like that. Not outside because I don't know where everybody's been. I just know who's in my household and where they've been. And even when I go out, my son said, Mom, you got your gloves, you got your mask, you got, yes, I have all that in the car, but I, I still have it because what? I'm just staying safe. You have to stay safe. We understand that. But it doesn't mean you can't call somebody. Kobe can't get through the phone. Kobe can't get through the text. Kobe can't get through none of that. Kobe can't get through. I saw uh, Raya and Elise, and I just love it. They are there, and I love them being close like that. And I say, always be there for them. But I saw them at the park. It was just them two. And they were uh, sending pictures and showing them at the park. But it was nobody there but them two. And they were just doing whatever they were doing and, you know, playing and sending pictures and everything like that. I enjoyed that because I said, you know what? They're staying connected. Stay connected. I try to stay connected because I can't stay connected with just every individual. And a lot of the people at Church of Living Water that are on Facebook, I try to stay connected with them. And I put deals on for them to talk to me on or whatever. Just like that. Because I can't just call every minute. But you have that time. And I, I I don't get it. I'm like... Y'all all belong to the same church. Nobody, y'all not calling each other and talking. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do. That's how you stay connected. 
That's how you do. And if you've, if you've had the COVID test, well, I've had a COVID test, I do that. Well, you, you can go around somebody. But I'm just not going around and just, just to be around because we're in a pandemic. But we can still encourage one another. We can encourage one another. Did you hear me? If there's anything about our ministry, we should, we, it should be heightened. See, it shouldn't be diminishing. Right now, our, our ministry should be heightened because we're staying connected. While our services to the church has been diminished by the pandemic, our fellowship shouldn't. Not when we have all the electronics we have. Church, I'd love to tell you more, but that's what the next session is for. But I want you to understand that. Stay in contact with one another. Minister to one another. Now, now if somebody starts getting on the phone foolish, well, I don't think I'm coming back to church. Say, oh, well, I understand. No problem. Don't get in no discussion like that. We're busy heightening up. Don't get into no bondage about nothing. Just be free to say, I just wanted to call and encourage you. Just thinking about you today, praying about this. I just love you. And just say, yeah, I do miss you and this, that, and other. And, well, you know, you know, you know, maybe we can, I, I don't go around anyone else. And maybe, and, and don't be lying and all that kind of stuff. If you've been around people, don't go around nobody and say, well, I've been around a group of people. I've been to the club. You know, I, I just, I just can't do that. You know, and I've been here. No, I don't know who. Who all your family been around? And I just I'm just gonna stay safe. But I'm gonna stay connected. So those of you at home, Church of the Living Water, you all need to call one another. You need to text one another. You need to be you need to be heightening up the ministry. You need to be getting friendly. Well, when we get back, da da da. You need to be talking about those type of things. You need to be just staying encouraging each each other, not talking bondage, no foolishness. Nobody's trying to date nobody. Just fellowship. Just calling to check on you, see how you're doing. If something come out of it, something come out of it. But that is, that shouldn't be your purpose. Your purpose should just be fellowship, heightening our ministry in every area. Stand to your feet. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.